Last time on Video Night. I am going to make some enemies right now. Ooh, fancy. But they were on the download. <laughs> and now. Video Night. Hello, Michael. Hey, Andrew, how's it going? Beep, bop, boop. I am going all right. That's because you always point out the robot. So I said beep, bop, boop. Well, domo and arigato, Mr. Roboto. Howdy, howdy. Speaking of a song that came out in the 80s, there was a movie that came out in the 80s that I haven't seen until about two weeks ago. Whatever? Ever. Okay. That we're going to talk about. How talk How about. have you... Uh, this is shocking. Which one are we talking about? You said the 80s, correct? Yeah. We're talking about a movie that's been around for 30 years now, and you've never <laughs> seen it. Even though it was wildly popular. Yeah. <laughs> Neither has Elby. Wow, what? <laughs> I know, a match made in heaven, right? It's true, though. How? Did you have a non-John Hughes thing going on in your world? No, I mean, I saw a handful of John Hughes stuff, but for a while, I guess a lot of his movies just passed me by. Ferris Bueller was a, a big deal, except I only saw it, you know, secondhand sort of thing. It was on TV and my friend was watching it. Oh, yeah, it. I went to the theater and saw that. That was like a phenomenon. Right, so stuff like that. Pretty in Pink, I only like knew the music of it. And then I eventually saw the movies, like in my mid-teens type of thing. And I'm like, oh, all right. Or whenever they came across on TV, I never sought them out. And you were like the perfect but, age for this, because uh, I was not a teenager yet. I, I was well, 10 when uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles got... It's count. still a rated R movie. It, oh, that's right, it is R. Still you forget that R. it's rated R, because for the most of the movie, it's very PG, PG-13 until that one scene. Welcome to Marathon, may I help you? You can start by wiping that f***ing dumbass smile off your rosy f***ing cheeks. Then you can give me a f***ing automobile, a f***ing Datsun, a f***ing Toyota, a f***ing Mustang, a f***ing Buick, four f***ing wheels and a seat. I really don't care for the way you're speaking to me. And you know if it was made today, they would just cut that out or reshoot it so they could get the PG-13. It's funny that we haven't mentioned the title of the movie yet. We will. They would cut it so that they would be able to release a home video version that has the extended unrated cut. Yeah, and they would call it the uh, the two plane, two trains, two automobiles edition. <laughs> <laughs> so planes, trains, and automobiles. Steve Martin and John Candy just met. Flintstones, meet the Flintstones. They have nothing in common. Except the next 72 hours. Stick with me. Do you feel this vehicle is safe for highway travel? Yes, I do. Steve Martin. Where's your other hand? John Candy. Between two pillows. Planes, trains, and automobiles. Those aren't pillows. Ah! Rated R. <laughs> That's the movie that I missed for 30 years. And I feel like I had already seen it. And the reason why is because culturally, you have clips all over the place on television during, like, like a CNN type show where that lady's like, The holidays are coming up, and what better time than to spend it in front of a television watching a movie? Because <laughs> it's freezing outside. And then she does her profile of, like, holiday movies or whatever. Yeah. So, I had seen clips, I had seen moments, I had seen elements, but I had never seen the movie, ever. I'd never seen the full through narrative. Well, it also, by now... Now, this probably seems unbelievably tired concept because we've seen it a dozen times since. What road trip? Well, they did remake it. What? They remade well, it. Well, not, they not literally. It. Yes. What? It's called Due Date. Oh, okay, okay. But it's not literally it. It's not a John Hughes script. They don't give him credit. It's a remake like The Sitter was a remake of 
Adventures in Babysitting. I hate movies that basically steal the concept but give no credit towards the person who created it. And it's not like it's a, a direct-to-video or a TV movie. This is a legit studio movie with some decent money behind it. This happens all the time. Can't Buy Me Love? They remade that with uh, Love Don't Cost a Thing, but I guarantee you they didn't give any credit to who, whoever wrote it. Oh, I think they did, did they? actually. Okay. I think they did. That one, yes. I'm pretty sure they did. Why? Like, that one, I know that that's a remake. John Hughes had a weird predilection for road movies. I just realized this. Because yeah, Vacation 1 and, and 2. Did he, was he involved in 2? Yeah. Or is he only 1 and 3? I don't know. I don't know the Vacation movies very well. I do like the remake of the Vacation movies. That was actually pretty entertaining for the most part. I mean, I, I'm going to say I do like because there were moments that were really great with the stupid car. I, yeah, I just don't um, like... Uh, who's the guy that stars in that? The one from The Office. Ed Helms. Ed, Ed Helms. Helms. I just don't like it. Well, you're, you're kind of right there, but a better John Hughes movie that isn't a John Hughes movie that was made recently is We're the Millers. We're the Millers is, yeah, it's definitely the Vacation movie that didn't have a vacation. It's a, yeah, it's a vacation movie that gets it right without being a vacation movie, and it's got something fresh and new to it, and it works, and it's great, and it's funny, it hits all the marks, and what the remake of Vacation doesn't do is fire on all of those cylinders. Right. Well, if it it has, it's... It's, it's mis- like a jalopy. It works sometimes. I mean, I know it's not supposed to be Chevy Chase character, but okay, look at the... I can't believe we're going into this. Uh, but look at the Vacation movies, how Rusty was... You know, his character was developed over those four movies. I do not it's see him turning... shot. I don't see him turning into Ed Helms' character, though. I see, like, more of what Jason Sudeikis. He was a smartass. He was kind of a rebel. Yeah, uh, and, right, right, right. And sometimes that rebellious behavior as you get older turns into being kind of a, a loser, which is what his character is. But I just didn't... When what I, this tangent has become is is just the rippling effects of John Hughes, really. Yeah, the rippling effects. Uh, it's funny how much influence he has had over film, period. Because in the late 90s, we got that second surge of the teenage movies. So a lot of those are kind of homages to his work. Uh, they're, they're desperate attempts, but I... I feel that they're big failures in comparison what's that one uh, is it overnight delivery with paul rudd and reese witherspoon that is yeah that feels a lot like this uh, planes trains and automobiles yeah. which kevin smith rewrote oh right the, right re- oh my god kevin you're S- right it's got that same trouble yeah kevin smith rewrote it but he didn't get any credit for it because i guess he hadn't rewrote enough of it but he says from beginning hmm. to end i had to rewrite it murphy's law yeah and that seems to be what both of the movies that we're discussing what talk about the other one later tell you what it is later hold your breath everybody <laughs> don't pass out it's suspenseful getting to that one but right now the the reason why i'm kind of uh, sound like i'd rather talk about other things than this movie is probably because i don't really relate to the movie i know it's culturally boom our friends here in town were like what just like you what how did you miss that yeah I told them last night and they're like how did you miss that for 30 years and lb and i shrugged right but it's fine the movie's fine and it does everything that it's supposed to do well i think it's a time and a place movie so if you saw it back then way back then within five years of it coming out or, or maybe even eight years of it coming out you will have this I guess nostalgia, admiration, something 
that hooks you into that film, like A Christmas Story, like that. Everybody loves A Christmas Story. But you because. had, but you had to see it during that time period. Do you think kids now have seen it, or they're like, "What's Christmas Story? Let's go watch Elf instead." And you're like, "Elf? Well, it's okay." Yeah, but... I think they're like, "Let's go watch Elf or Nightmare Before Christmas." Yeah. Uh, PTA so, um, is how I'm going to. I'm not going to say the whole name anymore. PTA. Mm. Steve Martin is my favorite comedian. I love John Candy, even though his career was a lot of ups and downs. Yeah, John Candy is is an interesting character in this because they do make him the worst travel mate however he's not doing anything wrong well i think it's weird that his character clearly understands social cues because steve martin will say or do certain things and he reads it the the right way it's supposed to be read and yet for some reason he can't stop himself from doing like this impulsive stuff he's kind of indulged is what i think it is it's like almost like an ocd where he knows that maybe it's not socially acceptable but he keeps doing well when i say nothing wrong I don't necessarily mean nothing wrong because he does get them into a lot of screw-ups, the trunk and all that. His his story is actually really sad. Yeah. And that's where the heart of the movie is, is right there with his character. And Steve Martin being the cynical big city marketing director or whatever he, he does. Advertisement, I suppose. That guy, that job is always off. In movies, they depict advertising jobs as evil. <laughs> As soul-crushing, as horrible. Yeah. You ever notice? Uh, well, have you ever seen a TV show called Ned and Stacy, where um, Thomas Hayden Church plays a marketing guy who's desperately trying to get every, you know, it's, it's kind of like freelance. Yes, you, you have a job, and you still get paid, but you have to nail all of these marketing campaigns. And it could be a brilliant campaign, but if it doesn't connect to the guy who's paying you to do it, then it, it's, it's mind-numbing. He finds himself, like, constantly throwing away good ideas and come up with these insanely stupid ideas that these executives love, and being up all night trying to brainstorm something that will catch their attention. And then there's Crazy People, which does the same thing about the insanity of working in marketing and lying, basically. Well, marketing is always telling people, hey, this product is good because. And so many people go, this product is good because it will change your life. It will do something that it can't actually do. Yeah. And thus is the lie part. Just tell the truth. So that's crazy, people. How to get ahead in advertising. That's about a guy who grows a head on the side of his neck. <laughs> Whoa, what? Oh, is this the one with uh, Richard Grant? Yes. I just heard somebody talking about it in a podcast, and I remember seeing videotapes of it, but I've never seen it. That sounds like a weird movie that maybe we could uh, discuss on one of your podcasts, the weird movies. Yeah, probably. Okay, but you know, the, the high-strung world that he's in, I relate more now to Steve Martin's character than I did when I originally saw this because, as you can tell, or as I've told you, my job has made me really, really edgy and snappy and really impatient, which you can see all over Steve Martin's character. He probably started off as a nice guy like me, with optimism and hope. <laughs> and now... I'm yeah, just... he only... At the very the first scene, the, the guy is just hemming and hawing over some graphic design that as it's presented to us none is worse or better than the other so he's just like hemming and hawing and he looks like every one of us who's late and is behind a car that won't move even though they can move so uh hurry up like, we all relate to that. We just don't relate to the hustle and bustle of the city. I don't think I, I relate to his character too much in his initial getting roadblocked every time he steps outside, you know? Uh-huh. I don't think I've ever had that happen. Oh, God, have I? <laughs> I am my worst enemy. I'll be like, I'll lose my keys or I'll place it on something or my, my phone or something. That's the holdup, usually. So, if so you're more of John Candy's character who kind of gets in his own way. 
Yeah. If I had to relate to any of the characters, that's who. Even though I'm I, I'm saying this, you probably won't believe me. I'm not that annoying. <laughs> sure. No, I'm kind of annoying. <laughs> I have um, fidget problems, and traveling with me is a challenge because I can't sit still for anything. So I, I've noticed that people are like, are you okay? So... You sitting sure? <laughs> still, is it moving? Is it restless leg syndrome? What is it? Well, I tore a muscle in my butt doing a crazy stretch about 2009. And ever since then, when I sit for long periods of time, the muscles in my left cheek will start to cramp and lock up. So I okay. constantly have to so move my leg and stretch. It's akin to a, a sciatic situation. Yeah. It's probably yeah. not the same thing. But since you said you tore your butt muscle. <laughs> yeah, you, um, you, I'm not kidding. One cheek was the size of like a football. And I mean, on top of a butt. You know what I mean? Like that, that <laughs> top ridge. <laughs> on top of a butt. Sorry, that made me laugh. <laughs> no, um, it was just huge. It was hurt. It hurt like hell for a year well, or two. And now I, I don't mean to laugh gets... at your misfortune. No, that's fine. I have to, I'm so injured. It's ridiculous. I'm sorry about your ripped up but so (laughs) yeah i just have a lot of injuries i have the nerve damage in my spine so i have what feels like spiders crawling over my face sometimes oh good god wow and spiders aren't dangerous very much unless they're brown recluse or black widow but they're not that dangerous on my face they're just creepy as all get out so yeah you know i'm being not literal right i mean it feels that I know, if you feel like oh. it feels like spiders. Now, if you're asleep and you wake up to feeling like spiders on your face, that's yeah. creepy as all get out. Well, also, I live in Oregon where there's spider webs everywhere, so sometimes I'm not even sure if I'm having spine damage or there's spiders on me, <laughs> which is terrifying. Like, ah, webs. Ah. <laughs> so now imagine bunking with you in the same bed. Yep. Fidget, just fidget all night, and I do that at night sometimes too. I can't sleep, and or my shoulder hurts, or my back hurts. And oh so yeah, I just you, like would flip prob- and you would probably be like the John Candy character, clearing his yep. throat the ah. whole night. <sighs> yeah, so that was, that was pretty awful. Bit of both it was very exaggerated. Well, that's what John Hughes you know? does, though. John Hughes has a strong talent for making you relate to every character. There's something about you you can see in all of them. Well, like I said about the business guy, I can only kinda. Only the frustrations of, of, I guess, being in traffic. That sort of thing, yeah. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't say that because nobody's Ferris Bueller. Everybody's Cameron, basically. Yeah, except for all the Wanting girls. Wanting to be Ferris. I almost wonder if Cameron has some sort of mental breakdown and he just imagines Ferris Bueller. Well, you heard about that theory. Oh, are you the one who... Okay, uh, I remember someone saying something was like kind of like Fight Club. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I probably mentioned that a long time ago. But yeah, it's kind of like... I don't think it is. It's too obvious that it's not, but... A fun theory. So, what is it? PTA, as you say? Yeah, I'm just gonna say PTA. I, I say don't... it all. I, I'm like automobiles, locomotives, and airplanes. Automobiles. It's, that movie's fun and fine. I just don't have the time with it that everybody else had. You know what I like about it is two things. He has the repertory company kind of idea, like the way that John Carpenter would reuse the same actors. Yeah. And this is back when directors were making a movie every single year. That was kind of the norm. Joe Dante, Spielberg, Carpenter, all those guys that shoot movies out every year. You can't spend all this time on development and casting. You're just like, I know this guy, he's good at this kind of stuff. Let's get him. Let's get him. Let's get him, you know? Right. So you have a lot of those people like show up. I love Edie McClure. I work with a lady who's just like Edie McClure, except she's not funny. She just giggles and laughs and she sounds exactly like her. Oh, gee there, don't you know? You're like, ah! But she's not funny? She's like accidental funny? Or it just reminds you of Yeah. No, she's not. She's actually annoying because she giggles at everything for long periods of time. Oh, I'm sorry. I wish she was funny. I was like, it's not that funny. Not that funny. (laughs) You just would have... No! 
Not funny! <laughs> Stop! That's how you sound. The other thing that I enjoy about it is that he had a really strong balance of there's three levels of they're going on plane trains to automobiles you have the emotional level that shows up later you have almost like the looney tunes sight gag airplane kind of thing going right but it's not so insane that it takes you out of it right so it mixes well with the normal behavior humor you know like the dashboard stuff where he's turned the uh steering wheel downwards and, and steve martin's hands are in the dashboard right that that is obviously almost parody level but for some reason it doesn't take you out of it it's it's a hard balance Right. So, really, the bulk of the movie is about these two guys that can't. They just can't be around each other because one's too wound up and the other one's not wound up enough. And there's issues in both of their lives, but mainly John Candy's life, which is where when you learn about that, you're like, oh, oh, ouch, the heart hurts. You know, you're kind of heartbroken mm -hmm. for him on his behalf, which is actually a testament to the filmmaking of it. And then it's just a movie about friendship, about becoming friends in spite of the annoying things that are actually trivial. It's not like John Candy's character was some alt-right white supremacist or something. Oh, would have been a horrible twist. <laughs> the whole time he was a Nazi. Oh my God. <laughs> exactly, right? So but I helped him on his mission. No. He just snorfled a lot. You know, and made uh, impulsive decisions sometimes. Yeah, it's a little bit of the um, the odd couple. Yeah, balance. Yeah, right. One's high strong, one's not high strong, and then they high, they bounce off each other. Right. But it becomes really heartfelt, and there's an appreciation by the end of it, which is the thing that spoke to me because I'm all about not many, 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 many friends, but friendship. I don't have, I think, a lot of friends like i know so many people that are like yeah friends lots of friends that they literally do have hundreds of friends in person that they hang out with intermittently how i don't know i don't even like that many people i don't know i don't even want to i when i was in high school i always got thrown off by uh parties and these big groups like you go to school and there's like so all 30 of these people in this class are your friends you guys all hang out yeah how does of that of course even i'm work? the only one that doesn't know yeah i literally i sociology class i knew one other person in there and it was just me and her for the whole semester while the rest of them all hung out and they all had all these inside jokes and stories and they're all going to parties how does that even and work? i was like how the yeah it was like there's 400 of us how is it that 30 of them are how are you all together how I, should i quit this class <laughs> yeah so i'm really keen on building good friendship relationships even with people people that I work with. Some of my graphic design people that I've been hired by, I would consider them, if not friends, friendly acquaintances now. And there's immense respect and I enjoy working with them. I think it's weird that our society has changed so much that uh, I would consider you one of my closest friends. We've never met. Right. We've never met. Right. That's so strange. A lot of our episodes are learn about each other. <laughs> to be fair though, I am in a bubble. I have to, I cannot go outside. <laughs> I cannot be touched by normal air. <laughs> That's not true. That's not true. <laughs> you think there really are bubble boys out there? I don't think there are. There's one, I mean, the movie that it was made about, not Jake Gyllenhaal, but the other one with Travolta. Oh, is that a true story? Yeah, it's based on a true story. No shit. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to watch the, the one with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal before I ever watch that one again. <laughs> so Another road trip movie. Road trip movies just owe so much to right, the they do. John Hughes era. Well, I mean, that one too. There's you just mentioned Bubble Boy. That's a stupid movie. But that has the whole, he has a plight he has to get from A to Z, and all the letters in between are obstacles, which is 
just like this. I wonder if there was a road movie before John Hughes came along that did it obstacle-wise, you know? Well, I mean, you had the Hope, uh, Bob Yeah, Hope, but were those uh, obstacles? I don't know. I don't think so. I think they were going on the adventures on purpose. It, it Spies Like Us is the deliberate love letter to those. What, what was the other guy? Bob Hope and... Uh, Bob Christ and Bing. Guy. Bob and Bing. Bing Yeah, Crosby. that was a direct love letter bo, 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 to those. Bo, 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 but bo, 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 no, I think some of the... Uh, I think it's just road movies just... Well, well, well Vacation's based on his real-life adventures as a kid going on those trips with his parents. And I think somehow that extended out to planes, trains, and automobiles. Right. And, well, and Dutch. Doyle? Yes? Dad can't be with you, honey. He has to go to Europe. Doyle's dad wasn't much of a father. Is Mr. Standish in? He's sleeping. But his mother was in love with the next best thing. Let me go down and get him. Dutch. I'm a friend of your mother's. I came to bring you home. Oh. They've only just met. <laughs> and already, they get along like family. What do you like to do for fun? I like to wiggle and grunt. Me too. So you and Doyle are getting along well. Come on, give it to me, pipsqueak. We're getting along just great. 20th Century Fox presents I'm a working class nobody, and I don't take any lip from kitties. Hello. The story of a boy who lost the child in himself and the man who helped him find it. Dutch. Okay, sugar, what'll it be? What won't make me vomit? <laughs> Ready, PG-13. Definitely That's Dutch. That's the next movie that we're talking about. Dutch is... I, I think I prefer Dutch really because I saw it back then. I saw it about the time it came out. And I had seen it a handful of times, maybe, since. And then when I revisited it again last night, I really enjoyed it. But now, as a full-grown adult who hasn't seen it in so many years. Trust me, I am full-grown. Doubtful. I stopped growing at 35. Amazing colossal Andrew. <laughs> I'm full-grown. I'm not growing any... growing bigger. Yeah, I don't think that's gonna happen. But if you're like my relatives, they'll all say, like, did you get bigger? I'm like, yeah, obviously, yes, I did. Anyway. At some point, yes, it's a half, this happens. <laughs> I didn't use a shrink ray. Right. So it's got some stuff to it, which is at once problematic. And also it can only happen in movies. But then the heart of the story allows it to exist. The, the point. Yeah. Oh, we forgot to mention the reason we're doing these because they're both Thanksgiving oriented movies. Right. Well, yeah, by the end of PTA, it's come on in and join the festivities. Oh, I did want to mention PTA has one problematic area where I was like, is this homophobic or is this just, that's gross because sweaty butt cheeks. Oh, you mean because he goes, ah, my hand's between two pillows. Those aren't pillows. Yeah, and I, that's a scene that I knew about since the movie. Well, I don't out. think that's homophobic. I don't care if. But I, it is. But it is. Is it because I don't think it, I want anybody's hand in my ass. If I was gay, I'd be like, uh. No, no, no. It wasn't until there's a point where it becomes. Does he? What does he say? How about them bears? Or you see that game the other day? Oh, trying to make it manly. I see what you mean. Yeah. Not a violation That's of when personal it's all space. Like, we're, we're manly. Yeah. Like, well, you and gross. I discussed in the 80s was wildly homophobic. They became like the new scare. Right. And it's 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 painful looking it back was, on it. It was because of the joke stems from not just gay is weird and we don't want to think about gay sex. It was also about AIDS. And that's the root of the gay jokes or snide gay comments 
in the 80s movies, I believe. That's the root of it. Yeah. But I thought that was odd that it went there. I know about the, how about them bears or whatever, but I was watching the scene again, or I did see the scene before. So I was watching the scene again and I turned and I was like, is this homophobic? And then I, it finally plays out the full scene in that little uh, sports manly thing. Yeah. I think it's funny that they, Male insecurity. they use that. They use a sport where sweaty men grope and grab each other. <laughs> slap each other on the asses. <laughs> Ironic. Yeah. How about that Greco-Roman wrestling the other day? <laughs> right? <laughs> Billy, you like gladiator movies? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think there's a lot of that in Dutch, but the stuff that's in Dutch is, I think, admittedly PG-13. The funny thing is, this is when Ed O'Neill started becoming something of a household name, a phenomenon. He had hosted Saturday Night Live. He had been like guest appearances or a co-starring role in about four or five studio films. And all of a sudden, they'd give him this movie. And I didn't know this movie cost $17 million. It does not look like it. It looked like it was shot in Canada for maybe eight. And he's not expensive. I have no idea because there's no names in this. I mean, you got Joe Beth Williams and Chris McDonald, but they weren't name names and they were only in the movie for like one day. So I'm, I'm shocked that it cost $17 million. This is from the director of Crocodile Dundee. Did you know that? No. He only ever directed this and uh, in that movie. Uh, so two films and then he just became a producer. I wonder if he was disillusioned after Dutch didn't do well. Well, I like Dutch. I do. I like the character of Dutch, except, I mean... It's a little too close to Al Bundy, in my opinion. I think they almost writ it, wrote it down. Like, I know that he's supposed to be blue-collar, but he's a guy who runs his own company, who's very successful. Yeah, he's... I didn't no, expect... no, 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 he's... He's an unlikely blue-collar guy. He is a guy who built him, built up his empire from the bootstraps sort of thing, but... Uh, he's still rolling in dough. He's got a lot of money. He is white collar ultimately. He just remembers and knows his roots and stays where, near his roots and doesn't dress beyond his means. Yeah, which is really cool. It is, and but there's certain behavior stuff that you would think that he'd be a little more appropriate with kids. Well, I mean, the kid, well, he has thirteen. I said something stupid. Wait, wait. wait. I said something stupid. What'd you say? Not beyond his means, but opulent because he has lots of money, right? He doesn't so show off. He's still is what you're saying. He doesn't show he's off. Humble. He's not showing. Yeah, and but yes, his behavior behavior with the kid is a bit careless at times yep. and i know for the joke you would go like that's a movie it's it's sort of playing on the romantic comedy rules where this can only happen in a romantic comedy otherwise it's harassment yeah it's yeah. stalking <laughs> it's abuse it, etc this also suffers from the post home alone i wonder if they did reshoots and that's why oh, i bet you that's why it cost so much money i bet you they went back for reshoots, reshoots? with uh, the physical humor you know john hughes was just huh. coming off of home alone home alone was a phenomenon from the same studio Fox and Fox probably said you know what kids are going crazy for this and John Hughes is like hell I'm gonna put in the next 10 movies that I do because that's what he devolved into he went from teenagers to adult to children to babies to zygotes I'm sure some out there there's a movie <laughs> about a, a cell being born well what's interesting about his movies a lot of them the more the more serious tone ones and this is actually a more serious tone film it has a lot of gags in it but you said that that's probably reshoots but the the seriousness of it has to deal with a young man a young person coming to grips with some sort of broken part of his life and this happens to be the divorce of his mother from his father and he blames her and it's interesting they never get into why he blames her yeah i don't know and i wonder if that's just uh i don't know i don't know what that is i don't i don't come from a broken family like that so i can't relate to it but i have plenty of other troubled family issues yeah so i can relate to strife 
and not wanting to be around elements. But I don't understand the blaming of one when clearly the other is the wrong one. I will tell you why. Because, uh, now my parents didn't go through a divorce until obviously I was clearly long into adulthood. But when you're a kid, you idolize people who reflect what you read in comic books, what you see in movies and TV shows. It's almost, especially in the 80s, it was all the male, the alpha male. And in your world, your alpha male is your father or sometimes your grandfather, maybe uncle. My grandfather was a scientist. My uncle was a slob redneck. So in a way, my father was the alpha male. So if my parents had gotten divorced when I was a kid, I might have blamed it on my mother. And plus, you got a lot of families where the mother is the one at home telling them what to do where the father's off doing work so therefore when you get in trouble and you get punished it's done by the mother so therefore you already have some sort of deep resentment towards that person yeah i get i get that your, I understand. your dad is just the guy who shows up after work eats dinner with you and goes to bed he has no time for punishment or yelling at you usually and that changes as an adult when both are on the same level and you're getting older so it didn't affect me as much i knew exactly who was right and wrong in the situation but when you're a kid especially if you're a boy you're you see your father no matter how flawed he is is kind of the hero figure hmm. and i think that's what's happened with this character is from what i can tell joe beth williams doesn't have a career i could be wrong did, did, did she have a job that i didn't I have know about? no clue man don't know they and they i don't present her as having a house that he let her have in the divorce settlement and he has yeah. to pay uh, well uh, mind you both alimony yeah both don't really have much of a story because like i said they're only probably on set for one or two days but clearly chris mcdonald seems to be a businessman or maybe he inherited the money i don't know but that's what i feel like is going on with um, oh he's one of the most powerful men in the country but why according to doyle yeah but uh so that that makes me think that he works for a major conglomerate or he's a lobbyist he's a lobbyist because dutch mentions snidely to the boy something about that he's not a lobbyist so i'm thinking that he is referencing the occupation of his dad guy can you imagine being a lobbyist that is like the slimiest job i can think of your job is <laughs> to go coerce government officials to basically throw away their integrity and here take yeah. the money we're, we're going to trade that out for you and you're going to do what we want you to do regardless of you're, you're not reasoning with anybody you're coercing yeah yeah you're, you're, you're bribing just, and you have a bunch of false reasons here it's all in this packet read it and then you open the packet and it's got like do it because we say this science says oh, it's okay right, whatever. right right and then there's a bunch of money also in those pages <laughs> oh okay we'll do it oh we won't do it yeah it's, it's terrible bye bye net neutrality so that kind of that automatically just makes that character um a scumbag Sleaze. and, and and, you know, yeah. you you kind of, especially during this era, this is post-glamorizing rich people, which we suffered through for most of the 80s, even some of the late mm, 70s. Yeah. We glamorized these, uh, what, Dynasty in Dallas. Just fascinating with rich people. You saw it in sitcoms, you saw it in TV shows. Even the John Hughes movies twisted because once Uncle Buck came out, no, I guess it's kind of in The Great Outdoors, which he wrote. The snob yeah. is the rich guy, and the guy you relate to is the blue-collar guy, which is John Candy's character. Yeah. And after that, you know, Uncle Buck, Curly Sue, and Dutch, you know, they're all 
all blue-collar-oriented main characters. Even Ferris Bueller's Day Off accidentally touches on it with the whole car thing. Oh, yeah, you love a car. It's a thing. Well, also, what's that yeah. movie with Eric Stoltz? Some kind of wonderful. They touch upon that a yeah. little bit, too. Well, yeah, shit, so no, it's actually, always, I, I think... didn't realize he did that again in Pretty in Pink. Though I still don't think she should have gone with Ducky. Everybody says, oh, she belonged with Ducky. No, Ducky's f***ing <laughs> annoying. He's so irritating. You want to <laughs> slap him the entire you No, know, you, me, LB, we're all anti-Ducky. <laughs> I, I, we don't I'll swear look, much. We don't look, swear much on the Ducky's show, but <laughs> Ducky. <laughs> Ducky's fine. Ducky's fine, right? Except he's not. Yeah. He's and, not and for she, her. She, no, not for her at all. He's the, the goofball best friend, and he's going to stay that way because that's what he's earned. Throwing in Christy Swanson yeah. at the end was kind of a cop-out. Nah, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, sorry, we're off topic again. Dutch, though. Yeah. The kid, he's horrible. He is his monster. dad. He's a reflection of his dad, and he's a little monster because he's always classist from the second you see him. He's belittling his classmate. I don't have a ma. You may not have a ma. I have a mother. Right. And then he calls his dad, dad. Like, come on. That's kind of weird, huh? You're just so... Because the other kid goes to the school because his dad works as a janitor or something. Ugh. No job. No One, no job is your identity. Two, no job is shameful. I mean, I'm sure you can think of something that's shameful. Not a whole lot of jobs are shameful. Whatever you do, be it working as a janitor, uh, working a hedge fund, if you're exploiting that job to get over on people yeah that's shameful yeah but if you're literally just doing your job to make ends meet to live and your kid can go there as a bonus that's a that's called a benefit that's called benefits people not not taking advantage and of the, the kid doyle who ed o'neill keeps calling all these different names with d's it's funny darren doby i never even noticed that really it's yeah it's it's really funny it's like my name is Doyle. He's all, okay, Doby. You know, stuff like that. It's really a running thing throughout the entire movie. But you tell me, what is the basic story? We haven't even got to that. Basically, Ed O'Neill is sent down, a Dutch is sent down to pick up Doyle. Who is he? What? Who is Dutch? Oh, well, he's Joe Beth Williams' boyfriend, who she's high class. He has money and he knows people, but he seems, you know, obviously out of uh, out of his realm, out of his normal world. A fish out of water kind of thing going on. It's a little bit of that Crocodile Dundee thing from the same director, you know, where a guy who's huh, out of huh, his... interesting. Yeah, guy who's yeah. out of his normal element and watching the comedy bounce off of that. Uh, well, that's like one of the great tropes of these kind of movies is finding someone who is the exact opposite of the other main character and how, watch them bounce off each other. Yeah, and that works. I, this is Ethan Embry, Ethan Randall yeah. at the time. Ethan Embry's first role, I believe. And why, why is it that he changed his name? Do you know? I don't know. It's like he went away for a little bit and came back with um, That Thing You Do as Ethan Embry, and that's just the way it's been since. Yeah. I also think it's funny how he has changed as an actor. Mind you, it's probably because of his physical appearance has changed. You know, the hair's thinned out and he's put on uh, weight and muscle. So now he's gone Lots from... of muscle. The dude's beefy. Yeah. Well, he's not like cut, but he's just bigger. Oh, he is. is no, he, dude, he's, he's beefy. He's a little heavy. Okay. Yeah. No, but, no. He's got uh, lots of muscles on muscles. But we saw him for years as he was growing up. As He went from being this character, you know, a high, snooty, you know, very literate, brainy kind of character to kind of being a goofball in the mid-90s with that thing you do, yeah. Empire Records. Oh, I forgot Empire Records is before that thing you do. 
yeah. Vegas vacation and can't hardly wait where he's the lovable doofus kind of guy. And yeah, and he's always been cute. He's always a cute kid, and now he's well. Yeah, he, he can switched. Be a monster. The first time I saw him <laughs> as kind of a monster was that. Uh, did you watch um, Masters of Horror? Yeah, Windows right. Incident on and off a uh, mountain, mountain road. road is where the first time I saw him, where he had buzzed his head and he had put on all that weight, and you're like, oh, oh, he's intimidating now, and he's kind of been that way since. He still gives amazing performances, but I almost wonder if he did it on purpose because do you remember the Dragnet relaunch that he did when they reunited Ed O'Neill and Ethan Embry? Yes, I do, but I didn't realize Ethan was in that. That's funny. He's in the first season, but they let him go because they said that he looked too young to be believable as a detective, and then they replaced him with Desmond Harrington, who honestly was a better fit. Okay, yeah, well, Desmond Harrington's odd and textured, so I think Ethan took those notes and did something with it. Yeah. All that from the but, little uh, snooty kid from Dutch. Yeah, it, it's changed so much. The it's movie could have been called Doyle. It could have been called Dutch it, and that, Doyle. I, it actually surprised me. Well, for some reason over the years, I forgot that Ethan Randall's character was not named Dutch. I was watching it going, oh, that's right. Shit, I forgot right, about that. Because it's really, initially, it's the story about Dutch. This is actually something I do relate to. I have never been mentored by an adult or anybody, actually. Not really. I had best friends who taught me a few things in high school, like how to stand up for myself and whatever. But I never had anybody, like, guide me with their herding staff if you will, other than my own dad. So I never really had that, but I end up taking that role in some younger folks' life where I'm that guy being like, advice here, advice there. A lot of times it's through playing video games and then a kid is like, hey, here's my troubles. So I'm like some video game shrink. Wait, so do you play video games a uh, Some, yeah. It, it would be Red Dead Redemption right I'm now. Curious. It's I Fortnite. Well, I didn't even know you played video games at all. Are you... I'm not a big what gamer. What system do you have? Uh, PS4. Uh, I was just I'm curious. Pre- I'm terrible at games. I do not play live games because I'm always the guy who enters the room. Hey guys, I'm new here. Oh, I'm dead. I'm dead yeah. already. I didn't even finish my yeah, sentence. Yeah. Thanks guys. <laughs> I'm right, go. right, right. That's kind of how I am. Uh, on certain games where you can sneak I'm not, around. I, I'm not good at mentioning. I'm, I'm the yeah. sneaky guy, so I just sneak around and don't get killed for most of the game. And then finally at yeah. the end, I'm dead. I don't ever win. Yeah, they got everybody yelling at you. It's like, why did you help? We lost because Yeah, of you. that's that's me. Sorry. Oh, I was over Sorry. here looking at a treasure chest. <laughs> I end up becoming some kind of mentor. And I, I appreciate that in Dutch, the mentor thing, his goal anyway. But he kidnaps the kid. That's problematic. Yep, leaves him out in the snow know to die basically he said how many how many nah, miles did he, it's not that did he cold. say 50 miles <laughs> he said 50, 50. <laughs> yeah which i think is an exaggeration yeah I, 15 would have be been abused five might even have been abused i would have said like oh it's like five blocks away you can there, there would have been neglect oh, yes. right so there are things in this movie that can only work in movies and you go yeah yeah that's fine movie land not in the real world no way and i wonder why john hughes thought this way he's very hyperbolic in that way exaggerated elements because it's what sells but what i was saying though it's, it's always sells. about he the... wrote pop if there's such a thing uh it's he's like the pop song of movies he knows the exact notes to hit how to hit them and what will connect with people Hmm. You know what I was saying, though, about the troubled young man? He ended up making or writing another one called Reaching the Rock. Yeah, yeah, I remember. With, I haven't seen that one in a long time. With William Sadler and Alejandro Novilla. And that's a, a young man, so like early 20s, troubled thing. That one has actually a lot of darker, heavier issues. That's like real struggle stuff. And Dutch seems to be like a primer for that kind of story. And I wonder where these stories come from in John Hughes's life, where he pulls from. Yeah. Because... If 
eventually Doyle does start easing up on the classism and understanding what it is to actually have to struggle in life because especially the moment when they go to the shelter. Yeah, that's when I believe the movie writes itself because the abuse, the gag, start getting out almost ridiculous, especially when they're taking on the guards and he starts doing the kung fu on them. I was like, mm, that's probably that step too far and then they reel it back in with the shelter. So they, Dutch picks him up, they go on a road trip to bring him back home for Thanksgiving because his dad, Chris McDonald, is off with his girlfriend, mistress, whomever, and is saying he's out of town, but he's not. He's in town and is just playing hooky on the kid. The kid learns this by calling his dad and the woman picks up the phone. So the kid's all heartbroken at that point. Everything is is screwed up. It's that road movie thing that we already discussed with planes, trains, and automobiles where what can go wrong does go wrong. It's Murphy's Law road trip rules. And this case some lovely call girls who see them being pathetic pick them up and steal their money while they're sleeping in the car drop them off and leave them and that's where we get to the shelter all this stuff where the bad people doing things to hinder these people and then these two good people show up and i found that to be rather interesting not just good people there's good people who can those are the people who run the shelter they drop them off at the shelter and that was very interesting and then at the shelter there's a sort of young family that is on the ropes and they have a little daughter. The little girl and Doyle carry on and they have a little moment of bonding where Doyle actually sees that these are real people. These aren't people who are well off. These aren't people born into a good situation or a money situation, which is the whole classism thing that Doyle's always been like pounding into Dutch constantly. Yeah. I never picked any of that stuff up when I saw the movie before. Huh. So I really, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in class stuff right now in my life because... You know, I'm lower. I'm not high on the totem pole. I'm humble. Let me ask you this. Okay, so you and I have discussed this before. My father's screw-ups would constantly take us from middle class to lower class. And, yeah. you know, and then you just get eventually get used to being lower class. And I've been on um, poverty levels for almost my entire adult life. It's kind of strange. Yeah. Like, I have vague memories now of being middle class, and I remember my grandparents almost being upper class, like, heading in that realm. Upper middle? Yeah, upper middle, I would say, yeah. I don't think they ever broke six figures, but in the 80s, you know, 75000 or 65000 whatever he was making as a chemist was good money. You know, just buy, yeah. just, they just buy a house. Like, they have it built to their specifications kind of thing, you know? That, wow. that was something that happened yeah. in the 80s. It seemed like everybody was rich in the 80s. And then the 90s was a hmm. big wake-up call. And now, I hate it when people are just like, well, that's Clinton's fault no it's just the way the world works a lot of people don't seem to remember that uh the 70s we had such a collapse because by then all the other countries that were decimated in world war ii were up and running again did we discuss this already in the alt-right episode i don't think so the reason our economy fell apart for the most part is like that it, the rest of the countries were up and running they had their factories going and therefore it started to take us down this is like the early 70s so by the end of the decade we're kind of leveling out the way we were before world war ii so we're just back to norm you know and then all of a sudden the 80s we had to find ways of basically i mean i hate to say it but we sold ourselves out to other countries or whatever reasoning we could we put ourselves in debt just to show like a, fa a facade of being wealthy and rich and powerful and in the 90s we sobered yeah. up it just it, that reality finally hit that we couldn't keep going to this party without suffering the consequences the next morning so that's what the 90s were 
And of course, we did have a boom around the late 90s because of the internet. But everything that goes yeah. big, it's, it's all waves. So you're going to have big stuff for a while. But it does seem like we've been in a downturn now for much longer than I expected us to. So that's why movies like this, I think, really resonate now. Stuff about blue collar and uh, yeah. class wars. But I also don't like that that weird vein that, that still sticks around for the last 20 years is that everybody that's blue collar is all American. We're proud of our country. We vote Republican. And, you know, and uh, it's all Jeff Foxworthy and that kind of stuff. No, there's blue collar everywhere and people say oh the, ho yeah, the hollywood yeah. elites that's the stupidest thing i've ever heard of because the last time i checked there were construction workers there's chefs there's uh people that have to clean the toilets of these studios they're all blue collar and technically they're part of the hollywood system do you think a makeup guy is really high end he's just he's no. dealing with all these chemicals all day long that could be toxic and he's creating characters so that you could enjoy yeah so yeah there's a lot of what i do as a freelance illustrator it could be considered blue collar it's a sit down job so i'm not banging boards into a building or anything but i I've done those types of jobs too, painting houses all day, you know? Yeah. So I relate to the blue collar thing. I don't relate to politics. I relate to the plight of the, the downtrodden man. And it's interesting that he's not downtrodden, but he's still standing up for the concept of blue collar, the concept of an honest wage, an honest living. Yeah. And it's really great. This movie has things really to say other than the friendship thing, which is also there. I really do think it's undermined by the the slapstick humor. Oh, you think so? Yeah, I hmm. just, every time I watch one of those gags, I feel like they just threw this in because Home Alone made a crap ton of money. You know, it just it, it Maybe. felt abusive. You know, it just didn't seem like it fit. Yeah, you might be right. Reshoots and all, yeah. you might be right. But it has it has things to say about classism, definitely. It has things to say about friendship and what it is to be a friend. It has things to say about divorce and the effect of divorce. Yeah, I just feel like they would have made the same amount of money if they had left the script the way it was. I'm assuming they changed it. It just feels like it was shoehorned in that it would have been just a pleasant light comedy instead of like every five minutes you got these gags some of the stuff i don't really care for i thought the fireworks thing was kind of stupid yeah that took way too long the stripper thing way too long to get to the joke of there's a hole in his jacket now yeah well Great. i think i think the stripper card scene yeah i, I think, I think that, those are dumb i think it undermines the integrity of the characters yeah i think that's dumb and i don't know why that's put into the movie uh with the racy playing cards and the music during those scenes any of the music during those uh uh, farcical scenes is just obnoxious. Yeah, it's big romp. Well, he grew up in Chicago. So that's kind of like that that sound that you only hear it in the 80s and early 90s is that Chicago blues sound. Well, no, not during those scenes. Those scenes are, are, are different. He has yeah. a lot of those. I noticed that too. Wait, is that yellow? The blues thing. Is that the song that yellow plays? I don't know. Like, mm, oh, oh, is in. That's in a Paris. different movie. Yeah, but I'm pretty yeah. sure I was reading the credits or whatever, and I saw Yellow did like three songs for the movie. So okay, then that's probably that. And they're obnoxious. It's all Get Out. There's no reason for those songs to be there. They're not good. I do really enjoy Dutch because it, it speaks to me more about the plight and all that stuff. But there's a heart to PTA that I really enjoy too. With John Candy's his story. Yeah. Not necessarily his annoyances. Well, I think the jokes. Story. The jokes in Plain Trains Automobile they fit they, they bounce off the plot instead of being what feels like kind of out of place i love yeah. the, i love the gags the gags are great and then, of course i love the two guys that are in it i prefer pta you prefer dutch i don't despise dutch i just think there's a lot of problems and i don't despise pta so good we're even yay the world <laughs> is at peace again so if you hear this around thanksgiving happy thanksgiving if you don't hear it around thanksgiving and whenever just have a good day gobble 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 i'm a turkey eat me <laughs> bye everybody bye I'm sorry about your ripped up butt. I'm growing bigger.
No! Not funny! Stop! <laughs>